Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're talking this month about prosperity. This is our month to talk about financial freedom and abundance, and we're using Jim Rosemary's book, Even Mystics Have Bills to Pay. And today we're going to talk about those bills that need to be paid. Let me give you the lead up to it. The first week we talked about God really responding to our hard-held beliefs, meaning that which we really put our attention on, that which we're really focused on, that is typically what God responds to, not our lack. Uh, When we're in that place of neediness, when we're in that place of lack, God is apt to respond with more in kind. We're apt to see life uh, with even more trouble ahead when we're in that place of lack and wanting. Week two, we talked about three very specific ways that we can draw prosperity to us. One is our focus. That which we focus on will increase. That which we put our energy towards will grow. And so the focus of our thinking, the focus of our lives will tend to expand. We talked about our expectations of good, that if we expect to be treated well, if we actually in our hearts expect the universe to be a safe place and a welcoming place, that is more likely what we'll receive. And finally, we talked about the idea of how to build our faith around prosperity, how to really build our faith uh, that God is on our side, that God wants us to be successful. Let's see, last week we shifted from the physical to the metaphysical. And and let me recap this one for you uh, a little more than the others. Last week we talked about that tendency on our part to fix the potholes in our lives. That when we see something that isn't going well, when we perceive a lack, whether it be a lack of love or a lack of financial well-being or a lack of whatever, we tend to get all excited and focusing on that. And we will even use some of our best spiritual tools to address the problem, right? But of course, it's sort of like putting a patch over a pothole. It takes care of it, and the next hundred drivers do pretty well, right? But then we have a little bit of frozen weather, and, uh, and there's the pothole again. So last week we talked about this idea of really focusing not on the issues at hand, but focusing on our connection to the God that is limitless, really to the, the power and the freedom that is truly the connection and the God-given right that we have to live as full and powerful human beings. And you'll remember we talked a little bit about what is our unique calling in life, that when we are allowing God to work through us as a force of love or a force of utility or a, a force, you know, we can think of it even in terms of professions, of, uh, of being a teacher or, or whatever it is we might do. When we see that as a God-given calling, right, Then the potholes just disappear. Then the resources we need rush in to allow us to fulfill God's mission on the planet. God as our mission on the planet. Well, today we're going to take kind of a different tactic. Jim Rosemary's thesis is, of course, this doesn't happen overnight, right? The enlightenment doesn't just descend on us one morning and we're really one with spirit, right? In the meantime, 
there's a, an overlap uh, between this living in the presence of God and living in the material world. You know, the bills do indeed come. How do we handle that balance? And so the last quarter of the book really talks about that balance of how we live in our humanness even as we're seeking that greater enlightenment, even as we're seeking the oneness with spirit, how do we continue to show up in the world? And it's really about balance. He sets forth some ideas for bringing balance into our lives that I want to talk about, and I'm going to start with the joke. So after 20 years of really scrimping and saving, a husband told his wife the good news. Honey, finally... Finally, we have enough money to buy what we started saving for back in 1998. She was so excited. You mean that brand new Cadillac, she asked? No, said the husband. A 1998 Cadillac. <laughs> so why do our plans go so haywire, right? I think at one time or another, all of us have a big and probably somewhat luxurious dream of our future, don't we? Don't we start out often in life with an idea of really being a place of usefulness to the universe, of a, of a true calling? Don't we really think of our lives of being blessed in so many ways? And then I don't know if it's kind of the grit of the journey or if it's, uh, um, you know, now and then negative things come our way, but, but it seems like the shine of that vision begins to dim after a while. And at some point in our lives, some of us, uh, literally struggle with seeing how I move forward in a way that that is positive, that is good, and I think we, I think it's that out of balance between the spiritual nature of ourselves and that worldly part of ourselves that that has bills to pay, that has to step forward and help people who are going through troubling times or who ourselves are going through troubling times, and the idea here is that of course that's okay. I mean, we're human for a reason, if you will. This human experience is also part of God getting to explore the physical world. And so, so it's not like we have to hide from things that come up. It's not that uh, the trouble that can come, sometimes come our way is wrong or inappropriate. It's how we put it in balance. And I want to read a, a little bit from... Uh, from the book in terms of how we might see our financial lives in balance. And he's talking here about what he calls the 80% plan. So, so let me read his idea of the 80% plan. In the 80% plan, we first give 11% of our income to support the unfoldment of God's work on the planet. Did you know he cleverly omitted the T word tithing there? Let me read this again because, uh, well, actually, let me interrupt myself. Only I can interrupt myself, right? Are you all familiar with this concept of tithing? Did you know that it used to just mean a 10% tax? See, it sort of bugs me that we in a church would be involved in something that comes from this notion of taxation. And so very seldom will you hear me talking about this concept of tithing, certainly in that, um, I don't know, kind of biblical sense, because literally, in fact, that was one of the reasons that, uh, that Mary and Joseph had to go to Jerusalem was for the census, was so they could be adequately taxed, right? Well, I'm not about that, but listen again. I want to read this part one more time, because this isn't about taxation, 
He says, in the 80% plan, we first give 11% of our income to support the unfoldment of God's work on the planet. Oh my gosh, is that different than a tax? Let me continue. Next, we set aside 9% of our incomes for future opportunities that will be ours later. Now, notice in some other plans like this, they've talked about savings. Do you see how this is different than savings, too? Right? Savings is, uh, I'm going to save up some money for a rainy day. This isn't about a rainy day. This is about a blessing. This is about an opportunity in the future. This is making an investment in our future happiness. These are way different concepts than I've read uh, in other similar works, right? Tithing's out the window, and instead, it's the unfoldment of God's work on the planet. A savings plan is out the window. Instead, it's uh, income for ourselves for an opportunity that will be ours in a future time. I think these are really important differences. And then he goes on to say, living on the remaining 80% of our income may seem difficult at first. We declare, it takes every cent I have to make ends meet. But my answer is, is this the way you want to continue to live forever? Isn't there another way? There is an infinite supply in the midst of us. Our giving and other practices outlined in this book help open the gateway of our souls so that our imprisoned splendor can escape, so that we can become a great blessing to ourselves and the world. And so this idea of balance, you'll see, it's oriented towards making sure we're just not about the getting that that full flow of giving and receiving is involved, that, that there truly is a balance between not only us having what we need and what we desire and making our own way in the world, but making sure that other people will have a chance as well. That's the investment both in our futures and the investment that we make in our spiritual source. Because we want it through the purity and goodness of our heart to be there for others and for ourselves in the future. These are the future opportunities talking about. And without that level of circulation, I believe it'll simply be about getting money. It won't be about nurturing our, it won't literally be about nurturing the blessings that we already receive. It's just, no, I want to receive, I want to receive, I want to receive. And when that's our attitude, the well dries up, right? It has to be a circulation. So for finances, that's what he's talking about in terms of this idea of not of tithing, but of contributing to the world and contributing to our own future opportunities. So I wanted to share a little bit about my own experience, uh, and, and I will use the T word tithing, because when I first came to this church about Gosh, it was about 15 or 17 years ago, something like that. I remember we were in a pledge campaign, and the minister was very boldly speaking about tithing, and I had to nudge my friend that brought me, and what, what's tithing again? That's like something out of the Bible, isn't it? Wasn't that a tax? And we talked about that. And, and I remember thinking, though, that there must be something in this, maybe not the words and maybe not the, the concepts as it coming out of the Bible, but there was something in me that actually recognized this idea of reciprocity. It, it rang true that in order to 
receive, one also had to give. And I was reminded as a child that really I had been doing this all my life, that the words, the vocabulary hadn't been there. But even at five years old, when I got my first allowance, right, my mom also took me to the bank of Newport. And I was short enough that I could barely reach the counter. And this was when a savings accounts actually had a book with it. Now, I know I'm giving away my age. For you, for you younger people, you just have to trust me. There was a time that they actually recorded in a little, pa- they called it a passbook, they actually, you know, you make a dollar deposit, they would write the dollar in and your new balance. And, and at our bank, they even did an official little stamp to show that it was official and, and, and a real amount. And I remember as a child talking to my mom about this, you know, why are we saving uh, money? And she talked about, well, someday, you know, you might want to have a new bike, some, you know, but putting it in child's terms. But clearly that idea, there would be an opportunity someday that I would want to participate in using that money and at the same time of course I was going to Sunday school and armed every Sunday I can't remember I think it was only 50 cents again I know I'm an old fool but 50 cents I think was what it was when I first started going to to church and uh, so that was in my blood if you will from the earliest ages and so when uh, the minister here at this center 15 years ago started talking about this tithing Although I didn't uh, particularly resonate with the word and that biblical idea of it, I went, oh my God, of course. That's why I've been prosperous all my life. That's why I feel the blessings of the world because I understand almost in an intuitive way because it started so young how this works. And then a very few years later, uh, again on Sunday, we were using Edwin Gaines' excellent book on the, the five uh, uh, laws of prosperity. And in there, she dared us. I love Edwin Gaines. She literally dared us to see if we could outgive God. And by that, she meant uh, 10%. Phew, that was for the pharaohs right? <laughs> if, you, if you want to be even more prosperous, see if you can do more. And so I have to say, since, uh, since that exposure, I have been doing that. I'm, I'm now tithing over 20% of, uh, of my salary here uh, back to my spiritual source, back to the center. And I have to tell you, there is no lack in my life. Edwin Gaines is right. You really cannot outgive God. Now I'm going to skip to the homework and then we'll get back to some more fun stuff. But, uh, but my homework for you this week is to analyze your own 80% rule. Are you making sure that there's a balance of both giving and receiving and uh, saving for opportunities in your life? Now, you don't have to be crazy like I am at, tw- at over 20%. Well, really, I, I, mine is like the 70-30, the really, uh, is how it works in my life. But, but, oh my gosh, start where you're comfortable, right? Because part of this is being able to do it with an open and a clean heart. You're not trying to begrudge yourself or feel pressured into doing anything. Honestly, I don't think it works if you're feeling pressured and inappropriate called to do something that brings up fear in you. But I would suggest if you are not actively giving, if you are not actively saving for future opportunities in your life, you are missing out 
on the riches of the universe because those investments in the world, you know, uh, God blossoming more into the world and in your own uh, blossoming, if you are not doing that, you are putting the skids on your own prosperity. Now, how might you do that? Uh, Start at whatever level is comfortable with you. I do like the idea of percentages because the percentages then can fluctuate as your money coming in fluctuates. And so the idea of a percentage is is a sweet one and I think a reasonable one if you need to start in at 1% or 2% uh, going into your future good for savings and a similar amount uh, into your spiritual home or your spiritual nature, um, that's fine. But let us, and so again, your homework this week uh, is for you to analyze that part of your giving and receiving patterns and make sure that it has that balanced two-way flow in it. Okay? All right. Now let's move on to something else. I was so pleased that Paulette chose the song that she did today uh, because it absolutely illustrates the other thing that Jim Rosemergy says is important if we want to live a successful and prosperous life. And that is our heart needs to be full. If we want to receive the blessings of spirit itself, our heart needs to be unburdened. And, and let me give you maybe some examples of things you maybe not have thought about lately about areas where our heart has become burdened. So often we take the nicks and the scrapes of living just as though we have to assume them and we begin building up a little safety wall between us and the things in our life that appear a little scary or a little harmful. And so, uh, for instance, when was the last time you maybe had an interaction with a loved one that went south where harsh words were uh, exchanged, right? right? These are people who love us, and yet, and yet, cannot they sometimes express themselves in some ways that are very hurtful, of course. Similarly, I bet we can all remember a time when something happened at work or something that happened with a neighbor that was just uncalled for, uh, a time that brought up shame in us or fear in us, right? These are the kind of incidents that by themselves don't represent very much, right? We just kind of like, well, they were having a bad day and it kind of bled out over me, but, you know, I'm a big boy. I can get over that. But I want to tell you, you might not actually be getting over that. These things tend to build up. It's like adding just a little drop of poison at a time to the love and the life that you are. And any one drop absolutely could be ignored or forgotten. But if you get enough of those drops of emotional poison, of conflict, of trouble, what happens, and you're not even aware of it, as it begins to happen, your heart begins to harden. A little wall between you and the goodness of life begins to form. And you might think, well, it's just a wall between me and my cousin who was so rotten, Or it's just a wall between me and my boss that is like a so-and-so anyway. How, How can that hurt? How can that really hurt me? But I will suggest to you that when the heart has a wall, it's just a wall. The things that you want to get through will have a hard time as well. 
So not too long ago, um, well, maybe about 10 years ago, I guess that's a while now, they did a series of studies at Stanford University, uh, and they, would, they set up this scenario so that someone would be given a certain amount of grief. And I'm glad I don't, I'm not one of those people that had to participate in, I mean, these are all college students, right, going for their uh, degree programs and to make a little money, they volunteer uh, for all of these scientific studies. But anyway, uh, they, they, they hassled them a little bit. Uh, not in an unkind or a physical way, but, but they gave them a little bit of hassling. And then they decided, or, or I should say, they gave them decisions to make. And do you know what? When someone is upset, they almost invariably make a decision that they have made before, even if it had a negative outcome. Something about being upset, something about having your heart hardened a bit, something about being in that position of unforgiveness or having a bit of a grudge around something that happened or someone actually causes us to not properly evaluate good decisions. Literally, a decision to, in the study, a decision that would have yielded them easily $100 was passed over every single time in favor of something that had a negative outcome, but it had been an outcome that they had done a number of times already in the experiment. And so literally, when your heart is in a place of fear, of upset, or trouble around anything, there could be marvelous opportunities that you will look right over the top of you will not even see them. And so when I tell you something like a hardened heart actually prevents you from finding the abundance you so deserve, I not only mean it in the metaphysical standpoint, but in a literal standpoint. By being unforgiven, by being angry at someone, by being fearful of what's going on, you almost by definition are saying, I'm going to keep everything at arm's length. I'm not feeling safe. The boss was mean. The daughter-in-law was crazy. The, you know, the neighbor was outrageous. I was hurt in these different ways. So y'all, just stay at arm's length. Now we would like to say, oh, but not you. You come in, right? That, that's the way we would like it to work. Oh, no, 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 that business opportunity. Come on, come on, come on. I'll let you through. <laughs> it's tight. I know it's tight, but, but I'll let you. But that's not the way we work. We literally don't even notice that the loved one is trying to get in. We literally don't even notice that the business opportunity is there. When we have put up that mental block, against life, seeing life out there, whether it's the political scene, whether it's your job scene, whether it's your family scene, anything that we perceive as negative or hazardous or painful or scary, the sh you know, remember Star Trek, the shield comes up <laughs> and the trouble is it keeps every darn thing out. Now, what can we do, as, as Paulette's song so beautifully illustrated, about opening our heart? Well, one thing, and I know we've talked about it before, and so I'm not going to go into it great detail, but one thing is the practice of forgiveness. 
One thing is being able to say, yes, that happened. I'm not going to allow that to happen again, but I'm going to forgive the parties involved. I'm not going to forget or forgive the thing that happened, right? I want to be safe. I don't want to be traumatized again, and I'm going to do what's necessary to make sure that doesn't happen. But I got to let myself off the hook. I got to take that wall down if I want to enjoy life. And the only way that I know how to do that to free my own heart is to have a little forgiveness, to forgive myself for getting suckered into that situation, to forgive the people involved. They were probably just trying to do the best they knew how, not very skillfully, perhaps even harmfully. But I have to allow myself off the hook through forgiveness. The other thing that can help with this idea of softening your heart, of opening yourself up to some vulnerability again, is simply the idea of love. Are you getting and giving enough love in your lives? Do you have that path where you can express as easily as possible your loving self? Are you spending enough time with with true friends and family members that love and appreciate you? Are you doing what's necessary with grandkids and, and people who naturally have an open heart anyway? Are you showing up in places where you know you will be valued and looked upon as an object of, uh, 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 of good cheer and love and light, right? And, and this doesn't have to be rocket science, but, uh, but, are, but on the other hand, are you just staying home and hanging out? and not quite feeling like participating in the world. Because see, that's the hardened heart position. And you, you probably don't even know that you might be in that. But if you notice yourself hanging out by yourself and with yourself most of the time, that's one of the signs. That is one of the signs that you have closed down your heart a bit. So what else can we do? You know, one of them, in addition to forgiveness, and again, just to being as loving and lovable as you can on purpose, is also the idea of gratitude. And one of the other things I learned uh, coming in these rooms 15 years ago is the power of having a gratitude journal. I bet most of the people, how about a show of hands, the people who at one time or another have had a gratitude journal. Yeah, so well, well over half of you. So you know the power of it. Let us make sure that that is one of the spiritual practices that we maintain. In fact, uh, uh, I would dare you to be grateful and pissed off at the same time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It just kind of doesn't work that way. And so even if once a day, so my practice has always been to do it at night. And every year in January, I pick out a new, a new little journal to have by my bedside with a pen. And every night I have the easiest spiritual practice in the world. I just write down five things that happened that day that I'm really grateful for. And you know what? If nothing really pops out, I just write down, I'm grateful for this really comfy bed, <laughs> right? I mean, there's always things for which we are grateful. So if nothing leaps out at being outrageously amazing, and often there will be one or two things that do leap out, still, my gosh, you can be grateful for shelter. You can be grateful for uh, the food that you had that day. You can be grateful for people showing up in your life that really matter, right? Right? 
there's something about going to bed with that unburdened heart that is miraculous. I think it sets me up to have a good following day almost all the time. So a quick review. What are some of the things we can do to unburden our heart? Well, first of all, there's that 80-20 rule. That sets us up to be successful in life in terms of the, the full flow, right? The ingoing and the outgoing. It needs to be a flow in the universe to be really successful. That's part of this balance. This is part of what will unburden your heart because, of course, giving is another one of those things that opens the heart. When I graciously give, either to myself in the future through the idea of an investment or savings or, or, or something that's future-oriented that I'm going to set aside some money for, that makes us feel good. It makes us show that we're loving ourselves up. And similarly, when I give a gift uh, to my spiritual tradition or to, to something that has fed me spiritually, absolutely, that's, again, part of opening our heart. Then we talked about forgiveness. We talked about the idea of doing whatever is necessary to open that heart so that we can give and receive. And that might include, uh, really, on purpose, how loving can I be, right? We're coming up to some holidays that, that no doubt many of us will be asked to be present with friends and family and neighbors, right? Sometimes this can be stressful for people. Are you willing to take a chance, what if it all went outrageously right? What if the love that is in your own heart prevailed and the holidays were fabulous? Are you willing to take a chance that the holidays coming up can be fabulous? Believe it or not, you're in control of that through your own open or not heart. So I'm going to close today with a reading from Even Mystics Have Bills to Pay, uh, but just to remind you about your homework for the, for the week, how do you stack up in that 80-20 rule? How is the financial balance of your life going? Are you making sure you're not only receiving, but also doing what's necessary to prime the pump by giving out into the world and by also putting things away for your own future opportunities. All right, well, by my calculation, I've been doing the 40-day plan uh, right along every day, and so I'm on day 22, and I just wanted to read what uh, uh, Jim Rosemary says about 22 of the 40-day abundance plan. He says, for most of us, and for many years to come, our lives will swing between periods of asking and periods of fulfillment. This is natural. It's part of the spiritual journey. But let it be known that the no-need state is the most natural state. Most likely I am far from this destiny, but one day I will live in a perpetual state of not needing anything. If I'm still on this earth, all of my earthly needs will be met without having to make their fulfillment an object or a point of my existence. This is the challenge of the spiritual life. There is a way of living, a new way of being, in which earthly experience flows around and from my spiritual life. I do not need to give earthly matters great attention because they are the things that are added. 
I will be able to fully dedicate myself to the spiritual life, to my spiritual nature, and all will be well. There are many signs of the coming of this kingdom and this way of life. One of them is no longer needing. Contentment and fulfillment herald this way of life. I look for them not in the world, but in my relationship to the divine. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one goodness. Only this one thing, and I call it God. And what an array of abundance are present in this one thing. It is the, the life of all time. It is the wisdom of the ancients. It is the, the material wealth and the goodness of, of all time and all existence everywhere present. It is the fulfillment of any desire because it is truly everything. And I'm, I'm right in the middle of it. My life is part of the divine life. And my abundance is part of the infinity that is God's. As it is true for me, I know without question it's true for everyone within the hearing of my voice. For everyone on this planet, there is good for us and we shall have it. It is our very nature to give and to receive. It is our very nature to accept God's blessings even as we, as we return it to God, as we return it to other parts of the divine, our friends, our family, our, our savings account, our spiritual centers. It is truly the blessing of giving and receiving that is given to each one of us. And for this, for this I give great thanks. I'm thankful for this time that we get to share every Sunday together. I'm grateful for the awareness of the full abundance that comes with connection to spirit itself. And so I release my prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.